When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another bonus short lecture from the History Teachers Talking Podcast, where Tom or I will lecture on big topics in little time. For more information, you can visit us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com or visit evergreenpodcast.com. The Dancing Plague began in the summer of 1518 in the town of Strasbourg, located in what is now modern-day France. The townsfolk were going about their daily lives when something extraordinary happened that would captivate the entire town and leave an indelible mark on history. It all began with a single woman, Frau Trophia. One day, she stepped out of her house and simply began to dance uncontrollably in the streets. Her movements were wild, her feet tirelessly tapping, and her face etched with a look of agony. What started as a solitary episode soon turned into something beyond imagination. Within days, more and more people joined Frau Trophia in her relentless dance, seemingly unable to stop. By the end of the week, there were over 30 dancers in the streets of Strasbourg, and by the end of the month, the number was close to 400. This wasn't a joyous dance. It was a frenzied, desperate, and involuntary movement that would persist day in and day out. But why were these people dancing? What caused them to lose control of their bodies and minds? First thing to realize is that this was not the first case of a dancing plague. In fact, historians have found evidence of at least three others. And although none are as well documented as this particular one, we know for a fact that one happened in 11th century Saxony, one in 14th century Germany, and one other in 15th century Italy. All of those, very similar to this one, began with a single person dancing in agony before more people joined, and eventually, they all simply stopped. The dancing plague of 1518 was a little different. By August, there were so many people that joined Frau Trophia that it soon attracted the attention of the local authorities. The issue was that the men and women seemed to be in a trance of some kind and refused to stop dancing. Soon, many simply fell to their death, whether it would be from stroke, a heart attack, or just exhaustion. The local council, unsure of what to do, gave up the authority to the local physicians. Those in turn did something odd to help those afflicted. The best way to get them to stop dancing, they thought, was to get them to dance themselves free of it. Guild halls were refurbished to accommodate this dancing, and musicians were even brought in to help those dealing with this dancing mania to stay upright. The people dancing in the streets were then moved over to these particular halls, where they would simply, as was believed, dance the dance mania away. Now, this backfired very quickly, and the council was forced to ban public dancing and even ban music altogether. The reason for it is, it didn't work. The people continued dancing, leading many more to die. Although this was not corroborated, some historians claimed that as many as 15 people would die per day, which ultimately, if correct, would mean that hundreds of people died during this particular dancing plague. When the physicians could not help the issue, the church stepped in. Many of the local priests believed that dancing was a punishment from St. Vitus. St. Vitus was considered by the local church as the patron saint of dancers and entertainers in general. He was also said to protect against lightning strikes, animal attacks, and oversleeping. 
The priest decided all those suffering from the dancing plague be brought in to the shrine of St. Vitus. All their shoes were taken off and replaced with special red shoes that were sprinkled with holy water and had painted crosses on the tops and soles. All the dancing men and women were then forced to hold small crosses in their hands, and incense and Latin incantations were part of the ritual. They were all brought over to the St. Vitus Shrine, where priests helped them pray instead of dancing. Soon the dancing turned into chants, which then turned into prayer, which ultimately led to people seizing the dance altogether. Over the years, many different theories have evolved as to what actually happened. Some believe it was a curse of divine punishment. Others attributed to stress, famine, and ergo poisoning. Ergo is a fungus that can grow and rye in wheat and when consumed, it can lead to hallucinations and muscle spasms. This would have likely played a role in the dancing plate. Still, that would not explain as to why, just as mysteriously as it had begun, the dancing plague of 1518 eventually just came to an end. Another theory that explains this event is stress-induced mass hysteria, which involves many individuals suddenly exhibiting the same bizarre behavior. This behavior then spreads rapidly and broadly in an epidemic pattern. This could have been caused by elevated levels of psychological stress, caused by ruthless years, even by the standards of the time, of the people living in that area. Social and religious conflicts, terrifying new diseases, harvest failures, and spike in wheat prices caused widespread misery. A chronicle described 1517 as simply a bad year. The following summer, orphanages, hospitals, and shelters were overflowing with the desperate. Thus, at least some historians believe that this dancing was simply stress-induced psychosis. Since the region where the people danced was riddled with starvation and disease, and the inhabitants tended to be superstitious. The Dancing Plague of 1518 remains one of history's most puzzling and captivating mysteries. It reminds us of the power of the human mind and the strange ways in which it can manifest under stress, fear, and desperation. Hope you guys enjoyed this short lecture. Tom and I will be back next week with a full episode. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.